Anthony Swift is an attorney at the Natural Resources Defense Council, the NRDC. He works with the NRDC's international program on tar sands development, the proposed Keystone XL tar sands pipeline, and other energy issues. And prior to joining the NRDC, he worked as a policy analyst for the Office of the Secretary of Transportation, and that's where he worked on alternative fuels, efficiency standards, and the National Environmental Policy Act review process. More than a pleasure to have Attorney Swift on the second half of the hour. Attorney Swift, thank you for joining us. Good afternoon and welcome. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be on. You know, one of the things we we talk about, whether it's the Keystone Pipeline or anything when you're dealing with oil, is you got to look back at disasters, um, whether it's, uh, you know, BP and an oil rig, uh, whether it's the Exxon Valdez, um, or if not oil, whether it's a fertilizer plant like we saw in Texas. And now, unfortunately, we have... Yeah, another example, right? Um, there was a train hauling millions of pounds of oil that continued to burn uh, in West Virginia. Uh, let's talk about this because this is an example of what environmentalists are discussing when they talk about concerns with the building of an expansion of the Keystone Pipeline. No, that's exactly right. And, I mean, to take a look at the West Virginia train accident, this is actually the second uh, such accident on this train line. The, the first one happened in Lynchburg, Virginia, just last year. It was a very similar. Uh, what we're seeing is a boom in uh, moving crude oil by rail. Most of it is coming from North Dakota, and it's being shipped to refineries on the East Coast and the West Coast. And this uh, dramatic um, increase in, in volumes of crude moving by rail have occurred uh, at a time when, you know, the safety regulations have not been uh, put in place to ensure communities and the environment are protected. Uh, and that hasn't stopped the boom from happening is the problem. And so we're seeing more of these sorts of accidents, many of which could be prevented by common safeguards, but we simply don't have them. And one of the reasons we don't have them is uh, the you know huge corporations make a lot of money you know from this and the transport of this of this stuff you know oil and you know other resources. They fight like heck against any kind of additional and regulations and completely ignore regulations they have. They even have money set aside to write a check in case there is a, a huge problem or injury or even death uh, if uh, you know ignoring. And, and not being up to, uh, you know, par with regard to regulations occurs, as we saw with BP. No, th- that's exactly right. And if you look at the, the West Virginia accident, it's, it's actually uh, instructive of, you know, some of the gaps in rail safety. For 20 years, uh, folks have known that the tank cars used to ship uh, flammable liquids like oil have defects that make them more likely to rupture. And yet, despite that, there has, as of yet, been no regulation requiring uh, those defective tank cars to be uh, shifted out of um, use and replaced by more modern tank cars. Now, of course, there's a rulemaking in place that proposes to do just that, but it's getting a lot of... uh, industry has has attacked it on a number of grounds and think that it's it's too strong and the other uh element of this you know i i actually don't know how fast the west virginia train was moving but i i do know that in the accident in lynchburg virginia 
the train that derailed was only traveling 23 miles an hour, which gives you an idea. Uh, and in that train, we also had a, uh, uh, you know, the, the tank cars ruptured. That gives you an idea of the type of kinetic energy uh, in these trains. And so, you know, part of the equation is going to be building safer, non-defective tank cars and, and also slowing trains down so that if you have an accident, it isn't a worst-case scenario. And certainly we've seen industry push back hard against both of those proposals. When I want to talk about uh, some specifics. Uh, there was an evacuation of villages nearby um, that was prompted by this derailment. Crude oil dumped into a river. And local water supplies had to be shut off. Quite frankly, this train wreck in West Virginia, and the second, like you said, that has occurred, speaks deliver, uh, you know, specifically to three areas, and is a prime example for three areas that constantly those opposed to Keystone Pipeline, those environmentalists, uh, discuss, which is what does it do to the surrounding communities? We saw the evacuation of the nearby villages in West Virginia. Um, what, what happens to, uh, you know, our water? What happens when, you know, the, the crude oil is dumped, as it was here, into a river? And then what happens to the local water that can become contaminated? These, this is a very real threat, and, and this is almost like a made-to-order example of that. No, that, that's exactly right. If we uh, uh, look at the, uh, well, just to give you a couple examples, uh, in the Lynchburg derailment, a river was also contaminated, and one month later, uh, sampling showed that crude oil was still in the sediments of the river. Uh, and to bring Keystone into more, to a greater fr forefront, uh, what we found with uh, Keystone is, you know, it, it would move tar sands crude, which is particularly dangerous to river bodies because the heavy tar sands sinks once it once it hits a river. So it makes it very difficult to, to clean up. And in fact, the uh, uh, tar sands pipeline spill in uh, Michigan became the most expensive oil spill, onshore oil spill in U.S. history. It's cost over a billion dollars for attempts to clean that river up, and 40 miles of it are still contaminated with tar sands. But whether it's tar sands or the conventional Bakken crude that we've seen in West Virginia and, and other places, uh, the reality is uh, crude has some very pernicious uh, chemicals in it, you know, benzene, toluene, xylene, all of these are very, uh, they're, they're very acute uh, carcinogens, they're neurotoxins, they're things you do not want in your water supply. Uh, you know, a lot of people are uh, tweeting and some people a little tongue-in-cheek and, and some others. Uh, you know, Andrew tweets, we should probably try to start getting rid of oil and switch to renewables, save the earth and money, it's a win-win. Any comment on that? No, I think that's Every pipeline accident, every uh, oil train accident really uh, highlights the daily hazards of our uh, reliance and dependence on, on crude oil. And, you know, in many ways, it's, it's a reliance that is we're at a point where we can begin to shift to, uh, toward alternatives. We're already seeing them on the horizon. And, in fact, in the U.S., we use 2 million barrels a day less than we did just five or six years ago. So we're already decreasing the amount of crude oil we use. Uh, but the real, ch the, the, uh, the real challenge ahead of us now, and one that we certainly can surmount, 
is extending that transition. And that will require beginning to turn toward investments in clean energy and uh, efficiency technologies and away from uh, high-carbon uh, crude oil infrastructure such as Keystone XL and some of the new crude by rail build out. You know, I, I want to ask you questions, but I also I know we have a break. I'm cognizant of that, so let's uh, read uh, some more of the uh, tweets. Um, you know, Brock says that we can't blame the cargo for the derailment. Can we? I mean, but it, it isn't it. You know, isn't it part of a problem that's multifaceted? I mean, you talked about speed, and then of course we look at weather conditions. New England alone is getting hit again, and they've had like 95 inches of snow. You know, even meteorologists can't often accurately predict the weather. So isn't it fair to include the cargo and, and, you know, not blaming the cargo necessarily for the derailment, but very cognizant if there's a derailment, what the specific type of cargo could do to the environment, could do to a water supply, could do to neighboring towns and villages, to communities? I I think that's a a critical point. And it's interesting that that you say that because, uh, you know, in the – uh, rail safety regulation rulemaking, one of the points that one industry group made, the group making tank cars, which was uh, advocating for slowing rail, uh, slowing trains down to uh, prevent these sorts of accidents, it made the point that, you know, what is new about the crude by rail boom is, is not that oil is moving by rail, but that oil is moving in kilometer-long uh, trains with 100 tank cars or 120 tank cars behind them. So when you have that much crude oil on one train, if an accident happens, the odds of it becoming a catastrophic accident are much higher. And so if, if we're going to shift to move such a hazardous uh, product and so much of it in these trains, it becomes paramount to be sure that it's moved in a manner that doesn't result in these sorts of uh, tragic um, explosions. And, yes, I think that it simply makes sense that we uh, impose higher levels of safety standards on a, uh, a train moving 2 million gallons of, of crude oil than we would on a train moving uh, farm products. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back, and we're going to get more input, not only from Twitter, but you can call us at 888 leslie 888-653-7543. We are talking about the West Virginia train derailment. Oil has been dumped into a river. People have been evacuated in villages, and even water and the supply, the local water supplies, have been completely shut off. This is not the first example of this, folks. Anthony Swift, an attorney for the Natural Resources Defense Council, the NRDC. Breaking in, shaping up. And we're back attorney at the Natural Resources Defense Council, the NRDC. Uh, attorney Swift, thank you for holding. Welcome back. Let's take some uh, calls and uh, questions or comments. Joe in Cleveland on line three joins us. Joe, good afternoon. Question or comment uh, regarding this yeah, issue yeah, and this hey, train derailment. Yeah, thanks. I, I think this shows that you know, we on the left are at risk of you know, being guilty of what we charge a lot of people on the right for, for being, and that's science deniers. You know, I mean, it, it shows the, you know, our almost religious opposition to Keystone Pipeline 
which is forcing oil to be shipped in in manners that have a higher print, whether it's by rail or sea or whatever, that are more dangerous and that are way more expensive. I mean, the per-cost per barrel of a rail is about, a per-cost per barrel for a pipeline is seven, about $7 per barrel. For rail, it any, it's anywhere from 15 to $30 a barrel. Likewise, I mean, what's going, if, all you have to do is look at what's happening in Canada right now because, you know, people like our guests are just, you know, denying science every single day because the State Department even had all the scientific studies that show that there's no appreciable increase from the Keystone Pipeline. And yet what's happening is there's now pipelines being built across the northern part of the United States. They're building, they're shipping the oil from the east coast of Canada down through, there's plans to ship it up down the east coast of the United States to the ports and refineries in Louisiana. And now we have this accident in uh, West Virginia, and the response is always, oh, well, we just shouldn't ship anything, or we should just make everything more expensive to ship, more expensive. Well, that's it's denying reality, just like, you know, denying that humans have some impact on climate change is also denying science. But quite often we are as guilty, if not worse, when it comes to this, this whole fiasco well, well, Joe, I'm a little confused. I'm a little confused when you call yourself a liberal or a Democrat, especially with this issue. You don't sound like a liberal or a Democrat, and you don't need to be one to call the show. But I do ask people to be honest and uh, not to be disingenuous. Um, Attorney Swift, did you want to respond to some of what Joe has said? Yeah, I, I certainly like to. And I think one of the key questions or one of the key misconceptions uh, is that the reason why crude is moving on rail is because uh, Keystone XL has been blocked, and that's simply not the case. Uh, if you look at what crude is moving by rail, 80% of all crude moved by rail in North, in North America is coming from North Dakota, and there's also crude from Colorado, Utah, West Texas, and South Texas moving by, by rail as well. That comprises almost all of what we're seeing on the rails today, and that crude would not be taken off the rail by Keystone. And to provide an example of that, uh, two major pipelines that didn't get much attention, uh, uh, two companies proposing over half a million barrels of new pipeline capacity to North Dakota were turned down by producers in North Dakota because they actually prefer rail. They want to get their product to the East Coast, the West Coast. They like the flexibility that rail provides them. And that flexibility uh, is worth more to them than the, you know, well, to put it another way, while rail is more expensive uh, for producers in North Dakota, they actually value the, North, the, the flexibility more because uh, they can have their crude refined in any refinery market in North Dakota, and the flexibility actually gives them a market advantage. In, the, in Alberta's tar sands, you have the most expensive uh, oil in the world, the tar sands, which is also highly carbon intensive. They don't value flexibility. There are only a few refinery areas that can produce, process their crude. Most of those refineries are in the Gulf Coast. And uh, for many projects, if they don't get new pipelines, they're simply not commercially viable to move forward. And we've seen that in 2014, over a million barrels of tar sands expansion projects were canceled 
because of lack of pipelines. And that's something that the EPA has said in its comments to the State Department, uh, highlighting the fact that Keystone XL would substantially increase uh, tar sands production and associated carbon emissions. So one of the issues is that, you know, North Dakota crude is going to move by rail, uh, and tar sands expansion requires pipelines. Uh, so what that means is that we need to ensure that if, if crude is moving by rail, that it's done so in a manner that doesn't put communities and, envir- and the environment at risk. And that's certainly not the case today. Uh, let's take another call. Thank you uh, for responding uh, to him. And thank you for your call. But like I said, you know, just be up front. Uh, Connie in Albuquerque, line four. Connie, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Question or comment? Yes, I have a question about the, the TPP uh, uh, assets um, going to be shoved down our throats, I'm afraid. Um, when foreign uh, industries can come here and open their plants, and if we're, they refuse uh, uh, their opening, they can uh, sue uh, us, the taxpayers, for not allowing them to make profits. And the other thing is that um, if they don't have to follow, and there's a, a big, big uh, push against not having to follow our EPA rules, what do you foresee for the future if this um, becomes a reality? Um, so I can answer that uh, somewhat. I, if When you say TPP, I, I'm, I believe you're talking about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, a, a trade negotiation um, that the U.S. is engaged in uh, with, with uh, countries in Asia. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm not... A, an expert on all the provisions, but I do think there is reason to be concerned with the TPP process because, as you say, there are provisions in there that would essentially allow corporations to uh, uh, to sue countries in the partnership um, if environmental regulations in those uh, in the, those countries make it create a situation in which the corporation loses money. And, and that certainly uh, sets up a, a race-to-the-bottom type situation. Thank you uh, to our caller. Uh, just going to let you have the last word here because we only have about 60 seconds left, and I have so much more that I wanted to share with you and uh, have you share with us as well. Um, Attorney Swift, uh, what would you like to leave our listeners with very quickly? Well, I think that we have a choice. You know, we new energies are on the horizon. We don't have to lock ourselves into the types of infrastructure that lead to these sorts of accidents and also undermine our ability to address uh, climate change, which is certainly going to be one of the challenges of our generation. And so because of that, you know, this accident, along with all of the other science that is uh, hitting us daily, really highlights the need to, to reduce our dependency on oil. Okay, thank you. Very well done. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola energy. Energy you want, taste you love. How to show up with Coca-Cola energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, 
a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.